0: ever have a song stuck in your head and it's so annoying you just can't get it out because I'm dealing with that right now the song that stuck in my head is nine to five by Dolly Parton which is a good song love Dolly you know but it's really annoying when it's just stuck in your head and it's like only that one small part it's not even the whole song it's just one small part the part I've stuck in my head is that like kind of beginning like banjo part where it's like <laughs> it's like so annoying <sighs> but yeah um if anyone has any suggestions on how to get songs stuck out of your head hit a girl up and let me know you know because they always say like to either sing it out loud to someone or listen to it but I feel like that just gets it stuck in your head more you know, and the only way I've found to deal with it is to just get a different song stuck in your head, which doesn't even solve the problem. It just replaces it with a new one. So that's not very good, I guess. So yeah, let me know if you find any, like, good ways on how to for sure get a song stuck out of your head. Ugh, speaking of that song, 9 to 5, if you don't know it, um, listen to it because it's... By Dolly Parton, so it's obviously good I don't even like country, but that is a good song Um, and Yeah, but I was singing it And my sister She started, like, singing the lyrics that I didn't even know And I was like, whoa, you know that song? How do you know that song? Because it's, you know, it's a kind of an older song And for her generation, I wouldn't expect her to know that song Like, the lyrics and everything And she Told me That it was on TikTok And You know, I just had to weep for the future for a few seconds. So, yeah, Uh, that's what I'm dealing with. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just wanted to add this like chatty section at the top of the episode because the podcasts I like to listen to are like a little bit more chatty at times and they have their um, more professional, more serious moments, but they have some fun chattiness. And I feel like that just is cool and nice and i like that so i'm going to do it cuz what's the point of doing something if you don't like it you know i mean besides like the things you have to do like going to the doctor if you might not like to go to the doctor but you should still do it for your health but i'm talking about like fun stuff so yeah if you don't like it sorry let me know why in the apple podcast reviews or in my comments of my instagram or something but Yeah, if you don't like it, you can also skip ahead a couple minutes. It shouldn't be too long. And I'm not going to do it every episode. Just, you know, whenever I feel like interjecting or anything. You know, let me be crazy. Let me live my life. (laughs) Let me be my true Aquarius moon self. Speaking of Aquarius moon. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I am a dork. Uh, If you haven't already figured it out. But yeah, if any of you people are into astrology, I'm willing to chat. I'm loving astrology at the moment and in life in general. So yeah, Um, let's let's just start the episode already. Before we get into this week's episode of Mixed Media, I just want to give out a little bit of a content warning here at the beginning to just let you know that this will handle some extremely adult and sensitive content. Um, topics will be covered, uh, murder, serial murder, uh, serial rape, serial rape, uh, just extreme violence and disturbing, uh, concepts, I guess, because this is about a serial killer. So we kind of have to talk about it. If that stuff makes you uncomfortable, I would not recommend you listen to this episode of Mixed Media due to that, but I, I know my last one also had a little bit of adult content, not necessarily the same thing, but, uh, yeah, so I'll work on getting some more cheerful episodes out soon, but this is extremely topical right now, and I just wanted to get it out while people were still talking about it, so if you feel uncomfortable with any of that stuff, I wouldn't recommend you listen to this. But with that said, let's get into this, uh, I guess, violent or disturbing episode of Mixed Media. Hey everyone, it's Becca here with Mixed Media, a podcast where a random teen tells you all of her unsubstantiated opinions on popular books, movies, and TV shows. Maybe you'll agree, maybe not. Either way, I'm gonna keep on talking, so maybe you should listen. Today we are discussing the television series, The Ted Bundy Tapes. I am very interested in true crime and serial serial killers, all that spooky, scary stuff, and I'm just really passionate about this topic of true crime in general, so I'm gonna be doing a lot of geeking out during this episode. Of course, not excitedly because people getting murdered is never a good thing. But I just (laughs) know a lot of information about serial killers. So I might be a little bit crazy. FYI. (laughs) Yeah, so if you haven't seen this series, number one, go watch it. It's only four episodes. It's not a big time commitment. Just watch it. But, you know, if you haven't watched it, I would still listen to this episode. Yes, there will be spoilers, but hearing the plot of a TV show and watching it are two completely different experiences. Also, this is, like, sort of a documentary, and these events happened in real life, so it wouldn't really be spoiling since it's, like, a historical event. You would just not have known about it, so, you know... It's not even really spoilers, to be honest, but anyways, I understand if you don't want any spoilers, so now is your chance to pause the episode and resume once you've seen the series. Alright, so this episode, I'm going to be doing something a little bit different. I am, instead of going to, okay, instead of releasing two episodes, I'm just going to release this one episode, um, and it's going to have the... Retelling part and the review in one, just because I feel like I don't know. I feel like I don't have a ton to say about the review. Like I don't know. I just feel like I don't have a lot of outstanding thoughts because I can't talk about like you know plot because how can you judge real life events that happened you can't because you can't criticize the storytelling or anything like that and they don't have like a lot of like cinematography moments it's mostly just interviews and like pictures and stuff like that because it's a documentary so I can't really talk about cinematography too much so I'm just gonna wrap it all into one because it's a documentary so I apologize if this episode is like a little bit long but it's kind of both of them combined into one if that makes any sense if you like this version better, let me know. I might start doing that, but it might get really long with, like, other stories where I have more to talk about in the review. So just let me know your thoughts, in something new. We'll see how it goes. So, I'm just going to go episode by episode and kind of discuss the main events that happened in them. And then my thoughts after each one. And then at the end, I'm going to do thoughts on the whole series. As a whole, you understand. It's not that complicated. So, let's start with episode one called Handsome Devil. So, the opening details the crime boom in the 70s and kind of the beginning of serial killers like John Wayne Gacy, the Hillside Strangler, Charles Manson, all the famous ones. And then it starts talking about Ted Bundy's story, how he was a handsome, intelligent law student, but was one of the most notorious serial killers. It starts off, we're at Florida State Prison on death row. Ted Bundy asked to speak with a journalist, but only if his case would be reexamined because he thought he would be found innocent. So Hugh Hainsworth and the other guy's name is Steven. I apologize. I cannot remember his last name. So, But Hugh Hainsworth is like the main one that talks. Uh, but those two are the journalists, and they have 75 to 80 tapes, over 100 hours of speaking. They record that in just a few weeks with Ted. So then we skip backwards in time to 1974 in Seattle, Washington, where Linda Ann Healy, who is a 21-year-old nursing student, has disappeared from her apartment. She didn't come to work the next day, and everyone got very worried because there were no crimes in the area. Things like this just didn't happen. So the police went to her house, and they found her bed neatly made, but there was some blood near her pillow area. We then go into talking about Ted's early life. He wasn't very wealthy, but he had really good parents and a great family who were involved in the community. However, when Ted was young, he had a speech impediment and was teased a lot. He didn't fit in, and it's talked about that he enjoyed scaring people. One story is told where he makes tiger traps, which is like when you dig a hole in the ground and you put sharpened sticks in to catch animals and you put leaves over the top, and how he liked building those to get people or animals trapped. Then it goes to his life in high school. Ted desperately wanted to be in charge of everyone, and he talked a big talk uh to other people he always exaggerated his accomplishments and his friends and how popular he was he lied about his athleticism and his intelligence but he mainly liked to be alone then we go to june 1974 in seattle in the area near linda ann healy george ann hawkins also goes missing She was returning home, walking through an alley, and just disappeared. People became very freaked out because, so far, this is two girls of the same type in the same area disappearing out of nowhere. Then we talk about Ted Bundy's life in college. He attends the University of Washington and gets an undergraduate degree in psychology. He also dates a woman named Diane Edwards and decided he wanted to go into politics as a Republican. This gave him a social life, but he didn't have to be real, because as we know, politics is full of not necessarily lies, but you have to put on a good face for the public, and the relationships people form in politics aren't always 100% real, if that makes sense. Ted loved being the center of attention and wanted to be in the upper class one's da- one day. He really wanted a Volkswagen because his friend had one, a lawyer friend of his, and he was looking at his car. He noticed that it had a grab bar on the top, you know, like those things that they tell you to hold on if you get into a car accident, like those random handles in your car. It had one of those. And he was very interested in that. So he got one, just like his friend Marlon. Ted also followed in Marlon's footsteps by deciding to go to law school. In 1973, Ted took his LSATs and got mediocre scores, so he went to the University of Puget Sound Law School. He felt like a failure. This time, Diane and him also broke up, resurfacing his insecurities and a feeling of rejection. He he said he wanted revenge on her, and then stated that the rest of the summer was blank. June, 1974, four other women from West Washington to Northern Oregon had also gone missing. They were Donna Gail Manson, Susan Elaine Rancourt, Roberta Parks, and Brenda Carroll Ball, all in less than six months. This made everyone in these areas freak out. Hitchhiking stopped and women became very afraid, No one knew what was going on, and the police had no suspects. At this time, a year earlier, Ted had a short job working for the Seattle Crime Commission. This gave him access to crime statistics and how police dealt with criminals. Also, information was not being shared across different police jurisdictions. It wasn't very organized, and they became desperate in their search for these missing women. Then, Ted met and dated his girlfriend Liz. They almost got married, but he was very protective and jealous over her. He was paranoid that he would lose her one day. July 14th, 1974. In Lake Shamamish State Park, Washington, Denise Nasland and Janice Ott disappear. Kathleen McChesney is a police officer assigned with the investigative team to talk to these women a good-looking they say a good-looking man with an arm cast was asking that women to help him load his sailboat in his car in the parking lot he approached many women and one of them was denise she went with him janice was also approached by him and disappeared the witnesses say that he had a light brown or tannish vw bug And that the man gave out his name as Ted. There are many witness accounts of these events. Flash forward back to 1980. During the recording of the tapes. Ted doesn't want to talk about the murders. And he's very hard to work with. But the time is running out. Eventually they try to have him talk about himself. in the third person as an expert witness. They ask him, what do you think happened? What kind of person would do this? Ted responded by saying that whoever this was would have hoped that the murders would fulfill him. So that's the end of the first episode. And basically, you can see that they kind of jump around with their dates a lot. So I'm sorry if this is confusing at all. I just did it. Kind of how the episode progressed. Um, So, yeah, let's just get into my thoughts on this first episode. So, you know, I don't know. Okay. So, the fact about him lying about himself in high school was like, oh boy, I feel like many people do that like not to sound like oh everyone's a serial killer but I feel like everyone kind of has that urge sometimes to pretend they're someone they're not or exaggerate their accomplishments or if they're like especially if they're a person who is down and depressed or doesn't have many friends they probably are going to exaggerate to other people like oh yeah I'm popular I'm cool like Everything like that. And that's a little bit troubling because, you know, I don't know. It's just seeing how it can get out of hand is a bit of a shock because you never think that that could be potentially harmful to people's psyche. But in this case, it definitely was. So, yeah, Um, the comment about that first uh, summer being blank from Ted Bundy freaked me out. Because, like, whenever someone says they can't remember an event, it's usually not good, especially if they're in jail for murder. So, that is very scary. I just thought, I got the impression that Ted Bundy was very self-centered, especially during the interview sections, because he's so annoying. He literally is so annoying. Okay. Um... Yeah, and also he thinks he's super smart. He thinks he's like, oh yeah, I'm Mr. Smart. I'm so intelligent. But he gives out his real name to a ton of witnesses. Like, dude, give out a fake name. They wouldn't be able to find you as easily. Like, it's not that hard. Because what do they have? A description of a man, his car, and his name. If you take away one of those things, or it could leave them on a goose chase. It would leave them with nothing it's just so (laughs) stupid like not saying like oh be a better murderer but like come on dude you're bragging about your intelligence and you're gonna be so stupid (sighs) anyways yeah I thought the idea uh of having Ted Bundy talk in the third person about his own crimes was a genius um because I would never think to do that like I don't know I just think that's Something most people wouldn't think of, but it clearly worked very well. Um, But when he started talking like that, it freaked me out. It was really creepy. You just felt kind of your skin crawl, especially with the way they put the music under it all, like, spooky. If If you've watched the show or heard, like, any of those tapes, you know how creepy that sounds. So, yeah. I mean, those were just things that stood out to me. Overall... I was really interested. Uh, Yeah, I thought it was good. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And after this ad, get right back to the episode. So let's get on to episode two, One of Us. It starts out by talking about the women's movement in the 70s. And then we go back to Ted and his tapes. Ted has a psychology degree, and this kind of expert knowledge, I guess one would say, uh, causes him to talk about the serial killer possibly having sexual motives for his crimes. Then we go to July 1974. A police sketch of Ted is drawn and the police begin searching for him. There are around 42,000 brown VW bugs in the Washington state alone. Ted Bundy says that he had a habit uh, with pornography and it manifested early and then he connected it with violence. These feelings then boiled to women becoming victims. The interviewers said that Ted's eyes went black when he really got going. August 8th, 1974. A woman calls the Washington State Police Department concerned about her boyfriend, Ted Bundy. She found a bag of women's undergarments, a bowl of house keys, and a bowl of house keys in his apartment. She also found a knife in his car, and he was gone at the time of Ball's murder. He had no alibi for the days of the murders took place. It looks like he could be a good suspect. A picture of Ted Bundy was shown to the witnesses of the beach uh, when the girls were taken at the beach, and seven out of eight witnesses say that it wasn't him, so they have nothing to charge him with. This leads to a dead end in investigation of Ted Bundy. September 1974, Ted moves to Utah to enroll in another law school at the University of Utah and becomes a member of the Latter-day, the Church of Latter-day Saints, like the Mormon Church, I'm pretty sure, or something like that. Then, in the Murray, Utah area, the daughter of a police chief is found murdered. Her name is Melissa Smith. She left a restaurant and never came home. Another named Nancy Wilcox, her body was never found, and yet another girl named Laura Amy was murdered. This is not connected to the Seattle crimes at this time. November 8th, 1974, Carol DeRanche goes to the mall, and and a police officer walks up to her, saying someone tried to break into her car. He goes with her to see if anything went missing. When she said that nothing was, he urged her to look closer and that they were holding the culprit at a police station and that she should go fill out a statement for them. She asks for their ID because she could smell alcohol on his breath. He showed her his ID and she got into his VW bug. He pulled over on a side road, handcuffed one of her wrists, and pulled out a gun, threatening her. She jumped out of the car and struggles with him until a car heads down the road and she gets in, going straight to the police. Four hours later, a girl named Deborah Kent left a play and went missing. There was a handcuff key left in the parking lot, and it fits this girl's handcuff. March 5th, 1975 in Taylor Mountain, Washington. Student foresters found Brenda Ball's skull. Later, the remains of three others are found. They're Healy, Rancourt, and Parks. Ott and Nasland are also found here. The term serial killer is coined and is beginning to be used in media, but there is no DNA technology to see who could the culprit be. Then, missing women start to show up in Colorado. Karen Kemble went to the elevator in a hotel. Her body is found hours later. Julie Cunningham and Denise Oliverson also went missing. August 1975 in Utah. Bob Hayward, a member of the Highway Patrol, saw a VW bug with its lights off at 2 a.m. A small car chase ensues until the VW is pulled over, and the man is arrested for failing to stop for a police officer. Inside the car, they found a brown gym bag with a ski mask, ice pick, strips of sheets, a pry bar, handcuffs, and pantyhose. They begin to investigate this man for crimes. They ask the survivor of the kidnapping to identify him in a lineup, but Ted changed his hair and his look, but she recognized him. He is charged with kidnapping... At this time, states begin to share information about their missing women's cases. Ted Bundy's friends don't believe that this man could be him and begin to defend him. February 23, 1976. Ted Bundy's trial for kidnapping begins. He is confident and decides that he will have the judge make the decision, not a jury. The survivor of the kidnapping, Carol, testifies against him. He is 29 and convicted for the kidnapping. Ted Bundy is given a 90-day evaluation by a psychologist to see if he should get prison or probation. Dr. Carl- Carlisle said that Ted painted a positive picture. He said his family was wonderful, and that. but some say he has a dark side. These people are his girlfriends. When Ted Bundy was 14, he found his birth certificate, and where it says father, there is unknown, which means he was an illegitimate child. Ted Bundy says that it didn't bother him and constantly denies that it would ever bother him. Ted Bundy's grandpa also had a violent streak and possibly abused him. Dr. Carlisle said that Ted had a violent side and should not be on probation. And Ted Bundy receives an indeterminate term of one to 15 years at the Utah State Prison. October 21st, 1976. A warrant for Ted's arrest of the murder of Karen Campbell is used. They searched his apartment and saw that he had a brochure of her hotel and was in the area at the time that the murder took place, and even a security camera caught him in the elevator. He is accused of first-degree murder with meditation, which has the death penalty in the state. He goes to trial in Colorado, but he's confident. Later, Ted got in an argument with a prison guard, and the lawyer describes him as egocentric. Ted says... Something along the lines of, am I innocent? Well, no man is innocent. I've been impolite. I've had some regrets. But I'm innocent of all the charges that have been filed against me. He says that to the media during the trial. So, my thoughts. Okay, so my thoughts. Let's get into it. So... First off, my first thought was, how did the witnesses not recognize his picture? Like, ugh. like seven out of eight. I understand if like some don't recognize him, but seven out of eight. Ugh, that's just so so awful. Um, then Deborah Kent, the girl who was uh, kidnapped but survived, so cool as we say in a push a BA. Uh, she had strength, determination, and like the people who doubted her, she never let them sway her because she knew what happened to her. She knew she was right and she was not going to be silenced. And that's just so amazing. And wow, I don't even know her, but I'm so proud of her. Anyways. um. Also, I was thinking, how could 10 Bundy's friends and family Possibly defend him after what the police found in his car. Like, I don't know about you, but if one of my friends had... Oh, let's see. Freaking a ski mask. What else was in his car? A pry bar, handcuffs. An ice pick. Pantyhose. Like, I would... I would be a little suspicious of whatever, you know? I just feel like those are not normal things to have in your car. Like, at least all of them together, you know? You know? And also, just like, Ted Bundy, he is so smug. And he has, like, this god complex where he, like, wants to rule everyone. It's like, I control people and their lives. And that's just, like, so just, ugh. I am sick of him. Also, when all of his girlfriends said that he has a dark side, that tells you something. Because obviously his guy friends and his family wouldn't see that side of him because his victims of choice were young women. A.K.A. people who would be like his girlfriends. So clearly, they saw that side of him that the other people in his life didn't see because they had a different relationship with him. Also, the fact that he only got, I don't know the exact number, but 1 to 15 years for kidnapping and just violence? Like, uh, 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 I just don't understand. Like, he clearly tried to kidnap her. And then there's evidence to say that he killed the other girl four hours later. And you only get 15 years for that? I wouldn't want someone out on the streets like that personally just the ending like thing how the episode ended made me really angry and annoyed where ted was ted bundy was like well am i innocent well (laughs) no one is actually innocent i'm like shut up god you're so annoying i don't know how anyone was friends with him to be honest all right next is episode three not my turn to watch him Aspen, Colorado. Ted was researching at the back of the courtroom during recess of his trial, and the defense attorney was in the hall waiting. A sheriff deputy goes up and asks where Ted is. The defense attorney jokes, well, it wasn't really my turn to watch him. Ted had jumped out of the second 2nd str- floor window, a 25-foot jump, and got away. June seventh, 1977. A manhunt occurs, and security was criticized for being lax with Ted Bundy. Police was checking all the cars on the main two roads out of Aspen. On day two, 150 men and five bloodhounds searched the canyons while Ted went into the mountains and stayed in a cabin. On day three, the FBI entered the search but wasn't much help. Ted was hit by a storm and became ill and went to Aspen because he was cold and hungry. On day six, Ted was found and back in custody. He calls the psychologist and asks him about his opinion of the escape. Ted claims that he was just tired of being locked up and seemed proud of his escape. December 30th, 1977. A guard brought Ted dinner and returned to find the food uneaten. Ted was not there, but there was a pile of books where he should be in his bed. Ted had lost so much weight that he was able to slip through a hole in the ceiling of the cell. People begin to freak out, and on day five, the FBI joins the investigation. On day 16, which was January 14th, two Tallahassee, Florida, sorority girls were killed. Their names were Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy. Karen Chandler Kathy, and Kathy Kleiner were attacked but survived. Margaret and Lisa died in their sleep. Another house had a girl named Cheryl Thomas. And she was only a few blocks and hours apart. She was also killed. The FBI was called on day 40, a.k.a. February 9th, 1978. In Lake City, Florida, 12-year-old Kim Leach goes missing. On day 46, which was February 15th, 1978, a penascola officer stops a car and arrests the man named Kenneth Meisner after a small struggle. He is jailed and denied bond because he would not tell them his true identity. After a while, he IDs himself as Ted Bundy to have a call with his girlfriend Liz, and he told her that he was sick and he was consumed by something he didn't understand. He claimed he couldn't contain it. In April 1978, after Kim Leach's body was found, they had enough evidence to acquit Ted Bundy of the murder. Ted alludes that there is murders of triple digits in six states. They also take Ted bunny to get his teeth examined because there was a bite mark on one of the bodies. This causes Ted to become angry and screaming until they show him their warrant. And he becomes happy and compliant saying, you don't need that. You know, I'm not violent on July 7th. 1978, he is indicted. So that episode, I just felt like there wasn't a lot to, like, discuss besides just, ugh, how much I hate Ted Bundy. He speaks so flowerly and pretentious, I just, I hate it. Uh, He's arrogant, narcissistic, clearly a sociopath. Just, I don't know, I... I just people keep saying he was charming but I just don't see it. Like personally for me he seems fake. And I just I don't know. He seems like like too slick if that makes any sense. Also, I I've like heard about this case before because I don't know about you, but one of my favorite podcasts is called My Favorite Murder and they basically just talk about murders and serial killers on there. So, I have known the story of Ted Bundy and everything like this. Um but I I don't know. I somehow I didn't remember or like know in the first place that he escaped jail or that he escaped twice, which is literally crazy. That's, like, the most insane part about this to me besides, you know, the fact that he is a murderer. But, like, just escaping jail twice? How did they let that happen? Like, jeez. Um, I also, on this episode, wish they focused a little bit more on the victims because they brought up so many in this episode. And especially the 12-year-old girl. I felt like that was, like, I don't know. I just feel like they're focusing so much on Ted Bundy. And I know it's called the Ted Bundy tapes, but like, ugh! I just wish they would focus on the people who were actually scarred by this event and not the people who committed the atrocity, if that makes any sense. I just don't want to glorify it, you know? All right, then we'll move on to the final episode, episode four, titled Burn Bundy Burn." The media eats his story up, and this is the first time a trial is covered so heavily in the media, because electronic news is just starting to come into the mainstream. May 9th, 1979, Ted goes with a guilty plea to get a life sentence versus the death penalty. On June 1st, 1979, Ted sabotages his guilty plea and turns it down in court, basically screwing over his defense attorney, because he said that, His defense attorney thought there was no way Ted wasn't guilty. So the DA tries to withdraw, but the judge doesn't let him. He turns into advisory counsel, and Ted becomes the co-counsel. On July 1st, 1979, the case moves from Tallahassee to Miami. The defense tries to say that Ted was incompetent, but the judge rules otherwise, and allows Ted to be in charge of the defense. Ted is described as impulsive, irrational, and deflecting. He complains about his jail conditions, especially the lighting, the meals, and the lack of exercise. Ted asks, like the crime scene inspector person, what he saw at the Kai Omega house, where a bunch of the girls were murdered, asking him to go into great detail and this causes great drama in the defense. Many young women also attend this trial, fascinated. One woman in particular named Carol Boone thinks that Ted is innocent, and she's quite close to him. They're basically best friends. Ted Bundy's teeth are identified as the ones that made the bark now. the bark now? What? What? The bite marks. But this isn't a very good evidence in court anymore, because it's kind of easy to debunk. One day in the jail, Ted had stuffed toilet paper in the lock so that it didn't lock, but he was discovered, and for that reason, he enters the court late. On July 24th, 1979, closing statements are made, and the jury deliberates for six and a half hours. They find Ted Bundy guilty of all charges, which were three attempted murder and two first-degree murder. He was sentenced to death. Ted Bundy was very surprised, and the judge says that the crimes were extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. He also says that he's sad to see a lack of humanity in the court, and basically says that he feels bad for Ted Bundy and says that he would have made a good lawyer. November 1979, there is another case. This one about Kim Leach. Lots of evidence is against Ted, and he's still acting as his own Defense. Carol Boone becomes a character witness and on the stand he asks her to marry him. She says yes. Ted is found guilty and gets the death penalty. 1981, Ted returns to death row but maintains his innocence. He also smokes a lot of weed and Carol still loves him and she even gets pregnant by Ted and they have a baby named Rosa. Everyone who talked to Ted, at this point, was sick and tired of him, the people who recorded the tapes and everything. They told Ted Bundy's mom and stepdad what he was saying in the tapes. The mom whimpers while listening, but then offers them apple pie and ice cream. 1984. Computer technology developed that lets people analyze and see trends in different murders and why they occur. This is when FBI profiling truly begins, and Ted is chosen to be talked to as sort of a criminal behavioral expert. And he has a lot of good information for the FBI. 1986, Ted Bundy's death date is scheduled, and his new defense team tries to stop it by saying that Ted was never competent to defend himself. They test his competence to stand trial as well. A psychiatrist says that. Ted Bundy is manic depressive, that he did not feel empathy, and says that this is due to his brain chemistry. Due to this evidence, Ted Bundy gets a stay on his execution twice. Finally, on January 20th, 1989, his stay is denied for the third time. And a few days before his execution, he decides to confess in order to buy himself more time. Ted Bundy confesses that he killed 30 women in the states of California, Oregon, Washington, Utah, Idaho, Colorado, and Florida between the years of 1973 and 1978. Ten of them were buried and six of them had their heads severed. He also confessed that he practiced necrophilia. His mother is distraught. The day before his execution, the attorney tells Ted that there are no more appeals he can take lots of media shows up the days before the execution and there's celebration and cheers of burn Bundy burn even t-shirts and other memorabilia are sold to commemorate the event Ted Bundy says that he won't go by chair that he'll do it himself he wants he doesn't want the state to take his life from him One of the FBI profilers that was talking with him convinces Ted not to kill himself so that he won't be judged for 31 homicides in heaven. Ted blames his life on an addiction to pornography. On January 24th, 1989, Ted Bundy is executed. Many college-aged men are there who would have been around age 10 when he was acquitted for the crimes. They basically were there to get drunk and party final words of Ted Bundy were an apology for causing so much trouble. He is killed and the crowd cheers and even runs after his hearse. Ted Bundy's remains are scattered over the Cascade Mountains where he had some of the best times of his life, but this is also where some of his victims' remains were found. So my thoughts on the last episode, I'll share them with you now. Um, when the judge said that the crimes were extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile, that really made me think of the movie that's gonna come out. I believe it's with Zac Efron, about Ted Bundy. It's called Shock- Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Um, did it already come out? I don't think so. I think this is the one that has Zac Efron in it. Anyways, that just made me think of it, so... Be on the lookout for that, I guess. I know there's kind of a little bit of controversy about the movie. Also, when the judge basically, like, it sounded like the judge felt sorry for Ted Bundy. And I'm like, how? Mm, hello? Like, how can you feel sorry for a man who committed these murders? I mean, I think it was clear that the judge had a bias and that he thought Ted Bundy was not guilty. But, like, there's just so much evidence against him. I don't know how you could think he wasn't. I bet he felt pretty stupid when Ted Bundy like confessed to all the crimes. Jeez. Also, the fact that uh he asked Carol to marry him on the stand. I was like, dude. You are so full of it. Like, ugh, ugh disgusting. Also, the fact that They somehow got pregnant and had a child. That's just, like, so sad. Oh, that poor child. I wonder where that child is now, you know? It's crazy to think about. Also, um... I just felt really bad for the mom throughout this, because, you know, she never asked for that. I thought her perspective was also unique because i feel like they don't really show the family of the person who was the murderer a lot in these kinds of things so i liked that it had a kind of different in that aspect and many details were just troubling and unsettling especially i was really unsettled when like he was confessing to the crimes and there was a part in the the episode where he was whispering part of his confession And I was listening with headphones, and it was so scary. Like, I literally got chills over my whole body, and, like, I wanted to cry. It was very scary. Ugh. (laughs) I do not even like thinking about that. Yeah, and I just, ugh. The thing that made me very angry was that they let Ted Bundy have the last word in the documentary. Like, I just... It felt too metaphorically like, oh, look, Ted Bundy's got the last word. And I was not a fan of that. So, here are my final thoughts. Overall, I thought this was a good series. It was well put together. The story flowed great. And it showed multiple perspectives of the same issues. And I was interested through most of it, even though I've already kind of known this case. So, that was something. Uh, But I had an issue with. Everyone was calling him a genius and having him get the last word just because that's exactly what he would want. He was a narcissist. So everyone, even post-mortem when he's already dead, everyone's still calling him, oh, he was genius. Do we not remember when he gave out his real name? That wasn't very genius, was it? I don't think so. I think he was just stupid and he thought he was right and he thought he deserved something. And he thought he could mess with people's lives. And I just don't like that. I also, uh, as I kind of mentioned previously, I wish they focused more on the stories of the victims rather than so much focus on Ted Bundy. Because, again, he was narcissistic, narcissistic and that's exactly what he would want. You know, I just think at some point we have to say, he killed people. There is no excuse just let's leave him dead and hold out candles for the innocence in the situation, you know? Just again, trying not to glorify the killer. I don't think that's what this series did by any means. I don't think they glorified the killer, but I am concerned that, you know, other people may jump on the bandwagon and take it to that point, especially like fans, I guess. Um overall, I do recommend that you watch this because it's very interesting and if you're not really into true crime I would say that this is a good look at like how fascinating it can be and everything um especially if you're interested just go ahead and watch it but it is important to keep in mind the atrocity of the crimes he committed and you know just that he wasn't a good person and that we shouldn't be wasting any time feeling sorry for him if that makes any sense i rate the ted bundy tapes four out of five stars Uh, i don't think i would watch it again just because now i kind of already know the story so well but i think it was very interesting and i'm interested because there's kind of been a true crime boom in the media recently in the past few years and especially now like there's so many things coming out uh if you saw the series mindhunter that one's really good i would really highly recommend that one that's about the fbi profiling and how they kind of did that it i would recommend that if you liked this highly highly recommend it mindhunter on netflix um that that was really good and Uh, Making of a Murderer. I actually never watched that. I really should, but that probably is similar to this. Um, Forensic Files, that old TV show, just all that stuff is kind of coming to the surface, and also many uh, crime podcasts are getting very popular. Like I mentioned, my favorite one is My Favorite Murder, and I don't know. If you like this content, I guess... Uh, definitely recommend me more series like this to watch because I usually will, like, listen to podcasts about true crime or just read articles. I don't watch a ton of documentaries. Um, I know there is another documentary that came out around the same time that my mom watched, and it's called Kidnapped in Plain Sight, I want to say. And she was really interested in that one. So I guess watch that. So, yeah, I hope you like this. Recommend me more of these kinds of documentaries and TV shows if you want me to make more episodes on them. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for listening. I hope you liked this new kind of style of doing the episodes. Make sure to check me out on Instagram at pod, on Twitter at MixedMedia20. Um. You know, leave a like or a comment or a review. I don't think you can leave likes, actually. Uh, Rate and review my podcast on Apple Podcasts. And I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you later.